Hello there and welcome to the RT Radio 1 Davis Now Lectures podcast. A reshaping of the iconic RT Thomas Davis Lectures, which considered radio to be a university of the air, sharing the scholarship and creative thinking that shapes public decision-making and makes sense of our present selves. I'm Cleonan Ianloon, its producer. The consultant editor of this series on Making Home is architectural historian Dr Ellen Rowley. In this episode... She introduces a lecture on the Home and Irish Theatre performance, recorded with a contributing public audience at Glebe House and Gallery in Churchill, Letterkenny, County Donegal. This RT series was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and academic partner, University College Dublin. Hello and welcome to the third lecture in our radio lecture series, which follows the theme of home and housing. We are here at Glebe House and Gallery, a Regency-style house of the middle size, just outside Letterkenny in County Donegal. And we're here thanks to the English artist Derek Hill. We're actually in Derek Hill's kitchen, but more on that later. Derek Hill acquired the house and lived and worked here from 1954 until the 1980s, gifting it then to the Irish state. Thereafter, it opened as a gallery and is looked after by the Office of Public Works. As a lover of landscape, and indeed best known for his paintings of Tory Island, it's not surprising that Derek Hill's house and studio is surrounded by lush nature and a woodland garden. And this house has itself lived and accommodated many lives. Here, the architecture presents a social history. First built as a glebe, that is, a rector's home, in 1828, the house witnessed the fallout of local land politics in the 1860s. It was closed as a glebe and converted to a hotel in 1898. And during the fight for Irish independence from 1916 to 1922, this house was taken over by the IRA and then by the Royal Irish Constabulary. So, in many ways, the house becomes and is one history of Donegal. Today's lecturer is also inextricably of Donegal and we are delighted that her reflections on Irish theatre are delivered in this special house. She is a theatre maker, a theatre practitioner, but she defines herself as an arts programmer, a producer, a writer-director of the arts in Ireland and beyond. Having been director of the Dublin Fringe Festival, she's taken up the position of artistic director at the renowned Arts Admin in London. Rasha Gowan, welcome. (laughs) Rasha, although a Dubliner, your family on both sides are Donegal people. Growing up, you spent your summers here. And while indoors in your relatives' homes, you watched your aunties and great aunties knitting. Now, it seems to me from how you've crafted this lecture and indeed how your own creative practice has developed in recent years, that this intimate social labour of knitting carried out within the Donegal home has been really compelling and influential on your work. Yeah, it has. And I think there's something about the casual excellence of uh, of knitting and of storytelling and of song that I grew up with in, in Donegal is something that is both very intimidating and also hugely inspirational in terms of seeing people who are, have an incredible skill, incredible craft, but treated very lightly. And I think anybody who is of Donegal understands that. And I suppose 
that it all happens in the place of the home, that it's somehow supposedly more ordinary. Yes, and it, I think it's that thing of being transmitted from generation to generation, this idea of something uh, that's kind of quite private, but that's also really special, unique and has a great value, is something I've, I've really taken from some of the people here in this room as well. Thank you, Rasha. We're looking forward now to hearing your insights into recent and contemporary Irish theatre and the place or state of home as you'll capture it. Ladies and gentlemen, Rasha Gowan with her lecture, Too Close to Home. When I was at school in Galway in the 1990s, Druid Theatre Company returned to the city to stage a kind of victory lap run of Martin McDonagh's Lenan trilogy after taking the world and Broadway by storm. My class in school were offered free tickets to attend all three plays in one day and I went along. I had been interested in theatre for a few years but I hadn't seen much professional work at that stage and I was enthralled and utterly shook by the denouement of the first play, The Beauty Queen of Lenan. This, in my memory, was the moment when I understood the power of great theatre for the first time. In telling you why, I must now declare a quick spoiler alert. Towards the end of this play, the first play, set in the kitchen of a cottage in Connemara, our protagonist, the beauty queen of Lenan, delivers a monologue expressing all the things she could never say to her oppressive mother, who we think is asleep in her chair, but who we then find out has been murdered by her daughter. During this discovery, Marie Mullen's extraordinary performance was accompanied by a song on the radio. To my shock and awe, it was my mother's voice that emanated from the onstage radio during this moment of revelation. Now, my mother is a singer, so the coincidence wasn't too wild, but this personal connection to the play, not to mention, well, a typically fraught relationship between teenage daughter and mother at the time, was very close to the bone. It compounded my catharsis and taught me a very valuable lesson I would learn again and again in my studies and professional life in the arts. The theatre that really gets the core of you and shakes the fibre of your being, while it may be about experiences that are, on the surface, very different to your own, is usually very close to home. Irish theatre, as we know and recognise it, was born in the making of this new nation by the Abbey Theatre, as an act of cultural protest and self-determination through the imagination of an Irish nation. Yeats and Lady Gregory stylized Irish mythology by bringing it into a new theatrical aesthetic and dramaturgy, by which I mean they were creating an Irish theatrical canon and writing the rules for it as they went. However, it was only when John Millington Singh dared to elevate and stage the everyday and lived experience and language of peasant Gaelic people in the west of Ireland that Irish theatre became relevant and dangerous. We all know about the riots that accompanied the first production of the Playboy of the Western World with the mention of a shift, a woman's undergarment on the Dublin stage. I think it was more than the shift that both enthralled and burdened the audience. Close to home is both a necessity and a discomfort that is at the heart of Irish theatre for over a hundred years. Whether it's the theatre of John Millington Singh, Samuel Beckett, Theresa Devey, Tom Murphy, or contemporary works like Una Doherty's Hope Hunt 
and then the work of companies like Broken Talkers, Have I No Mouth from 2015, Dead Centres Lippy from 2013, or Theatre Club's Heroin from 2011. We know it's good when we see ourselves as we truly are and we don't find it comfortable, or indeed we don't even like it that much. For a long time, and still, on many stages, the Irish hearth or the kitchen sink, these symbols of the home place, provide the quintessential setting for Irish theatre, and with it, Irish experience. Home is where secrets are kept and revealed, where tension builds and explodes, where the colonial, religious or moral doctrine that shadowed 20th century Ireland is sometimes let in and sometimes kept out. It's the pressure cooker setting for the dance and expression of self that cannot be contained in Dancing at Lunasa. It's where the stagnation and frustration of inescapable destinies are played out in John B. Keane's Sive and Marina Carr's On Raftery's Hill. It's the prison guard doesn't want to escape from in Brian Friel's Philadelphia, Here I Come. It's where the insurmountable weight of history and the world in a state of chassis is felt by a family falling apart in Sean O'Casey's Juno and the Peacock. If you could conjure an image in your mind of the most frequent scenography on our national stage, it most likely has a sink, a kitchen table or a fireplace at its centre. And for a long time, these images and stories shaped our understanding of ourselves. An urgent and necessary reflection on identity happened in the darkened stalls of our theatres throughout the 20th century. And that identity was best expressed and understood through the lens of the home place. In contemporary Irish theatre, however, we've dumped the kitchen sink. The hearth is a long abandoned cliché. What has that kind of old school repression got to do with life in Ireland today? An Ireland that has shrugged off the shackles of doctrine, found sex, found emotion, found money, found voice, found freedom. Audiences today have a vast range of dramatic entertainment available at a single click. And you could perhaps argue that theatre is less urgent and less relevant to contemporary Irish life. People are no longer watching stories of home at the theatre. They're sitting at home watching stories from all over the world on their own sofa. And yet, I believe at least, that unique and authentic experiences of performance have the power to shake us to the core and activate every cell of our bodies in a way that other art forms and entertainments just can't. In live performance, we can get not just the feeling, but the taste, smell and touch of home. While the words spoken in any of Druid's rural touring productions might be old, Gary Hines's understanding of presenting works from the Irish canon in hyper-local contexts makes them urgent, visceral, and I suppose, in the end for me, utterly magic. In my early 20s, I saw the Playboy of the Western World performed in a school hall in Inishir, and a couple of summers ago, Waiting for Godot, in a field on Inishmian. I don't know whether it was the dislocation from a traditional theatre or the precise act of placemaking that Druid make in situating these performances, but never have these plays felt so alive to me. I suspect it's both. By taking this work out of urban, traditional, physical theatres and bringing it home, a transgressive act of democracy strengthens both its message and its meaning. 
In the landscape of contemporary performance, where realism is less important, what touchstones of our theatrical heritage remain? Where can we find the home truths that connect us to the idea, if not the architecture, of home? Contemporary performance is not so interested in the suspension of disbelief that characterises traditional theatre. There is no fourth wall. Quite often there is no stage either. This kind of work is characterised by liveness, a real-time connection between performer, place and you, the audience. I see you seeing me, and we are here in this space together. In this new kind of exchange, the key question might be, does this interplay help me understand myself? Is that what makes me feel at home? I remember the first time I saw Anu Theatre's production of World's End Lane, which was part of Dublin Fringe Festival in 2010. This was the first part of Anu's Monto cycle. The show was about the complex history of Foley Street in Dublin's north inner city, from red light district serving the docks and the British Army, through the purge of the Legion of Mary in the 1910s and 1920s, and many iterations of social housing projects. This street has changed its name four times over the last century. The performance presented this complex history in urgent encounters, wrenching it and us into the present moment and the urban landscape of today. As I followed the instructions given to me by one of the performers and walked down the street, I began to seriously doubt where I was and who I was talking to. The performer in front of me, Dee Burke, who I knew, was staring me down, asking me why I had followed her and what did I want. I answered in truth, I don't know. I was utterly disoriented. On a street I knew fairly well. I no longer knew her, where I was, or who I was in the face of the experiences being presented, and crucially implicating my physical presence in them. This was and is the power of Anu Productions, to reimagine sites, locations and stories we know. In the middle of the 20th century, Bertolt Brecht's theory of Verfremdung's effect was central to his epic theatre. That is, by giving us a little distance from the story, by showing us how it is made, that we then see these stories and ideas we have known all of our lives in new ways and with deeper meaning. What Anu's director and designer duo, Louise Lowe and Owen Boss do, deepens and enriches this theory even more, because they don't just make the story strange, they make the landscape in which it happens strange, showing it to us as if brand new. And in doing so, they reveal our complicity, the complicity in bearing witness, in being a bystander, not just to history, but to the events happening around us today. For me, and for many others who have had the privilege of seeing this work through Dublin's North Inner City, that landscape is now punctuated by the sites that have been unearthed, held up to the light, and redrawn by Anu. They've shown us new perspectives on the history of the 20th century as it has scarred or marked buildings in Dublin, from the Sean McDermott Street Magdalen Laundry to 14 Henrietta Street, Collins Barracks to Houses on Moore Street, where the events of the 1916 Rising took place, to the former home of Sean O'Casey. They show us not just what happened then, but what is happening now. Like O'Casey did, they opened the door of our tidy-looking homes to reveal what's going on inside. 
and how it betrays the facades we build in our stories about ourselves. This was most effectively achieved for me in 13, the project which drew parallels between the experiences of Dublin workers during the 1913 lockout and challenges faced by Dubliners today. Most specifically, a housing crisis, zero hours contracts, the exclusion experienced by so many people in the city and the isolation that goes with it. In the span of Irish theatre then, we can definitely say that the representation of home has changed. What is the new hearth kitchen sink touchstone in Irish theatre? Perhaps it is the iconic images we create in our minds of our loved ones, the elders who teach us who we are as children and remain burned in our memories forever after. Or maybe in the creation of shared experience and celebration of community, whether that community is rooted in place or in a common experience or interest. As mentioned in the introduction to this lecture, one of my first memories as a child is of my grand auntie Nelly knitting. Nelly was blind while her hands moved to create the most intricate and complex patterns at a ferocious speed. The clack, clack, clack of her needles in a contrapuntal staccato with the low, steady tick of the clock in the front room of my great-grandmother's house in Ranafarsta in West Donegal. I remember holding my hands up high with yarn wrapped around them so that Nelly could make balls out of the bonine wool and being exhausted by the seemingly interminable task of keeping my hands in the air. I must have been about three at the time because she passed away before I was four but I can remember her so clearly, the shape of her hands, the sound of her voice, even her smell. This memory was what led me to work with the director Katrina McLaughlin, composer Little John Nee, designers Leon Bell and Sarah Jane Shields, and a group of extraordinary home knitters from Ranafast on a theatre project called She Knit the Roof. We wanted to celebrate these women. We also wanted to see what the possibilities of making a kind of theatre that spoke to the lived experience of people in rural communities today might be. We made the performance in an abandoned doll factory close to Ranafarsta. The performance was called She Knit the Roof, in reference to a local woman who saved the money to replace her thatched roof with slates through her knitting. It was part a recreation of Aniha Arnala, a night of collective collaborative knitting and discussion. It was also part installation and finally a shared meal of tea and thirteen, a scone bread local to the area here in Donegal. Making this performance explored, problematised and worked through a lot of the questions about the history and current state of cottage craft industries and by that I say work by women and work that happens in the home, in rural and marginalised communities. The week of the show, we convinced one of the local radio stations to interview Annie, one of the knitters from the show, and suddenly interest was piqued. We'd been selling tickets online and via the local petrol station, but after a tail back on the road outside the Crawley Doll factory on our first night, tickets for the entire run were sold out. A story that had been held at home and was woven into the fabric of every family in the area was made visible, perhaps for the first time. The legacy of this project is held in the fact that our group of knitters still meet every Tuesday evening in the community centre to knit together. So, how can home be relevant in a new and culturally diverse and inclusive Ireland, when for many the thatched cottage and the hearth means nothing? 
Where are the lives of people who don't live in the big cities or in rural contexts represented in Irish art, literature and theatre? What about the suburbs? Unless you count a quick cameo from the woman from Rath Mines in The Plough and the Stars, the suburbs are largely invisible in Irish art. While the suburbs of Dublin in particular have produced really great playwrights, their work tends to focus on the urban rather than on the particulars of the suburban experience. Last year, Dreacht Art Centre in Blanchardstown produced a big project called Home. Led by the artists Veronica Coburn and Emer McGowan, 30 playwrights were invited to make a piece of theatre in the homes of 30 people in the Dublin 15 suburbs around Blanchardstown. Not only would these pieces be staged there, but they directly responded to the lives and experiences of the hosts in whose homes the pieces were shown. The playwrights and hosts spent some time together and from that they created 20-minute performances which were staged three times on one night. So 90 performances of 30 shows in 30 homes on one night. Quite a festival. This part of suburban Dublin has the largest concentration of both young people and culturally diverse communities of anywhere in Ireland. Like so many places in Dublin, this area has seen its share of sorrows and joys, with people experiencing homelessness, unemployment, the challenges of family emigration, and the challenges faced by families immigrating and setting up a new life in this community. There are schools, there are shops, there are factories, there are hospitals, there are nursing homes, there are direct provision centres, there are hotels housing homeless families, and there are houses all of which, for some people, are home. How to represent such a diverse community in the creation of new performance? Well, by acknowledging that not everybody's experience is the same and creating a proliferation of projects that can encapsulate and celebrate that diversity, perhaps. Hosts were encouraged to invite not just their friends, but also their neighbours who they didn't know from their area and they in turn were joined for one night by a ticket-buying public who came to see these 30 shows in 30 homes. By turning their homes into stages and aspects of their lives into plays, this project showed a whole new way of situating these homes and citizens within their communities. Shy neighbours became local heroes, and the story of these 30 communities were written for the first time. In Callan, County Kilkenny, an entire town will work together to create the setting, story and live performance for Asylum Theatre's production of The Big Chapel. Using Tom Kilroy's novel, set in the town, as a source text, the resident artists of Callan, including Equinox Theatre Ensemble, an inclusive theatre company, and a slew of professional and volunteering performers will take over the town to push site-specific performance to the very edge of how we might imagine it. Like Callan's previous Bridge Street project, this kind of performance changes a place and a community forever. Call me naive, but I still firmly believe in the radical power of art to transform lives. And for me, that power is rooted in this kind of liveness that is particularly present in sighted contexts, where the line between performer, participant and spectator becomes fluid. It's in the power to meet people where they are and show them in a completely different perspective. I think of the passage in Anna Byrne's recent Booker Prize winning novel, Milkman, where our protagonist, 
and a group of strangers enrolled in a French language class in troubles-ridden 80s Belfast by virtue of their attendance, clearly looking for something else beyond their quotidian experience, encountered the idea that the sky is not just blue but many colours. The idea is so radical, so beyond comprehension, that the group splinters and revolts, unable to hold this new idea. Great theatre, to me, is an experience where you encounter new and radical ideas in your bones and your belly as well as in your mind, and yet you are held, supported and safe in the revelation, and given the gift of shared experience. These moments for me are the lifeblood of culture and create a greater sense of belonging than even the comfiest sofa and the best drama on Netflix could. In an increasingly precarious housing landscape, this for me creates a much stronger sense of home than bricks and mortar ever will. Perhaps, if not with contempt, but with some censure, my generation, those who don't own property or have proper pension plans, are referred to as the avocado and toast generation, um, or, you know, the first generation in memory to be less well off than the one that came before them. Much as I love a smashed avocado, I find this judgment a little bit harsh. You know, yes, perhaps we value experience over assets, but what have the strictures of buildings and the architecture of the past shown us? We have a deep distrust of institutions, of fixed ideas as well as fixed mortgages. It's not for nothing that the art that this post-Gen X generation of Irish artists have made canon, has taken the theatre out of the building and indeed out of the playtext. Experience is the thing we can trust. Experience is what makes both the comfort and crucially the discomfort of home. Thank you, Rasha. That was really strong stuff and probably because of how specific it was to you and your experience as a practitioner, but also as a person of your age group living in Ireland today. One thing that strikes me immediately thinking of people from other generations and being weaned on, you mentioned Martin McDonough, you mentioned Singh, John O'Casey, John B. Keane, Marina Carr. Have the practitioners you're talking about, has that fueled their theatrical and dramatic imaginations or has that all been rejected? Um, I don't think it has been rejected at all. I think some of the most exciting work, theatre work that's happening in Ireland is absolutely informed by that kind of canon of work. And I think, you know, the great um, theatre artists of today are definitely standing on the shoulders of the giants that have come before them. But I think there are two things. There's the fact that that touchstone, that idea of home as the hearth, it isn't certain anymore. You know, it isn't something you can depend on. Number one, that's the first thing why theatre is moving into these different kind of contexts and different kind of ways of being. This like lack of trust in, uh, in the fact that you might even have a home or the idea of the home place is the place of truth or a place that you can really trust, if that makes sense. Um, and also kind of this lack of trust in institutions and the fact that the things we were always told were safe actually aren't safe anymore. So we have to find and create that feeling of home or safety in some other kind of way. And I think usually it's in this place of shared experience. Uh, playwright Darren Murphy, based in Belfast. What is your response? I worked on a show that Rosha produced um, that she mentioned in the lecture, uh, She Knit the Roof. I was a driver, um, <laughs> and general gopher. And I was, so I was sort of dipping in and out of the show as it was being created over, over the course of a week. 
And I just remember this abandoned factory, the rusty shutters that I had to hand winch, which took about half an hour every day to get the props in. And I think even, if I'm not mistaken, there was no electricity. All of that stuff had to be brought in. And uh, I think a wheelchair ramp had to be built for access. And it was just amazing to see that space built uh, from scratch um, and an experience built around that with the, the various um, theatre makers. Katrina McLaughlin, uh, who directed, uh, worked with the homelessers drawing their stories out. Uh, Liam Bell, who completely transformed the space. Uh, Sarah Jane Shields, who, who lit it. And little John Nee, who created these amazing... Like a, like a cycle, of, a, a song cycle of story around the, the home netters, using their words and even the rhythms of their needles as they knitted. Seeing a show built a completely different uh, way and context to the way I would approach it made me rethink a lot of stuff. When, as soon as you step outside of a traditional theatre, I think all of the rules kind of apply less in terms of who does what. It requires a village to make a site-specific performance. So we were dependent on the local pub to give us the chairs that the people would sit on. And we were dependent on family, three of whom are in the room right now, to make the food that's going to be served to the audience through that kind of feeling of um, depending on, on the kindness um, and benevolence of others you create uh, performances like this because it, there's no way that a b bunch of artists on their own would be able to do it. So is this off-location, out-of-the-theatre making, does this radicalise our state of home as theatre captures it? Yeah, uh, my name is Pat Farrell and I was actually involved in the home theatre project run by Driocht, um that Russia mentioned. I have to say, for me, it was a cathartic experience. Sean Dunn uh, was the playwright that Veronica, she was the artistic director of the project, she paired me with Sean and we hit it off immediately and we spoke for, at length for a couple of days and then we met and rehearsed the play that he wrote, um, which I appeared in, which was great. And it was the story of my life, a reflection of my life, my journey, and that was always said with my fingers up in the air making imaginary inverted commas. Everybody in Driocht used to go, journey. Pat's journey, that was performed. Sort of 50 people came into my house that night, which I thought was great. My wife wasn't too impressed with. <laughs> but um, we went out to the kitchen then. We gave people tea and biscuits and food, and Russia mentioned food there and the importance of it. So, um, and I was in Ireland, a cup of tea. And I went back inside because there was a few, a few of the lads were missing men. And there was four of them in the sitting room, and they were crying their eyes out. So I obviously struck a chord with my story because it's everybody's story. I talked about my childhood, I talked about work, I talked about family life and losses and happy times and sad times and that's everybody's life, isn't it? But uh, it was great to bring the theatre to the home. Different and it was a brilliant experience. My name is Neve Guerin and like Pat, I was involved with the Home Theatre Project but it was actually my child. Um, the piece was created about Oscar Oscar was paired with um, little Johnny, a total creative genius. Um, he came to our house, brought over a load of instruments and equipment and tweakers and twiddlers, and it was certainly tweaked and twiddled with by the children, uh, by my uh, son Oscar, his two other siblings. And uh, they were just set free with no expectations. And from that then, um, there was a story created. 
Um, LJ came back again another day and then himself and Oscar and our ambassador Jen went out for a walk around our locality. Our piece was called Linnets and Fibbles, so it was kind of a play on our area in Dublin 15. And um, around our area, beside my area, there's a place called Linnet Fields and Fibblestown. So it was a play on that and all the crazy names that are created and all the crazy amounts of roundabouts. So that was part of the piece. They looked so vibrant coming back and there was just a great energy in the house. Yeah, totally regenerated and uh, the kids were delighted. Um, and there's lots of questions, 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 um, mostly from the children and a lot of fart sounds and fart jokes, which became <laughs> part of uh, Oscar's uh, piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was amazing. And then we had an audience of people we invited from uh, our area that we weren't, didn't know, like we knew, but weren't in close relationships and they hadn't been exposed to a lot of dry up. And then we had an audience for family and friends. I like that, as Roshi was talking about earlier, the food, that was like an imperative part afterwards. We had like uh, tea and cakes and a cup of tea and chats, lots of chats, but uh, the energy in the house was just amazing. There was people everywhere and just such a positive experience. People were amazed with uh, the project and really, really inquisitive and interested about the whole experience in itself. Thanks. Uh, I'd like to talk to Adrian Kelly, who is the curator of the Glebe House and Gallery. Now, I just want, for our listeners who aren't here, the ceiling's fairly high, but it is a fairly modest square space, uh, rendered creamy coloured walls, and we have black and white lino, squared lino underfoot. And behind me, there's a dresser. So the, the two, the three crucial pieces of furniture in the traditional kitchen would be the table, which would be pushed against the wall, which had been removed because of our chairs, and the dresser behind me with a, an incredible array of ceramic, which isn't the norm. And then there's a niche, and sitting in the niche is the range, the aga, above which is all nice pieces of pottery as well. And it's kind of warm and interesting, and it's kind of rainy outside. So that's where we are. It's very atmospheric. The kitchen's in many ways the most interesting room in the house because the house went through a number of different lives. It was First of all, it was a Church of Ireland rectory and this was the family part of the rectory. And when you consider that we're right on the edge of the Ulster plantation, also that the rector was very publicly critical of the Dairy Bay evictions, it would seem like a very charged room theatrically. And then it's life as a hotel from 1900 till, until about 1950. It went through the rising, the Civil War, two world wars. It was used as a public bar at night and it was a working kitchen for a hotel. Again, you know, a really obvious place to maybe write about, very charged again. But it was actually only when Derek Hill moved in and staged it by putting the black and white tiles and the dresser, which is very, very staged. It's not like a real dresser at all. The, some of the most prominent things in it are Picassos. <laughs> And, and and I sometimes wonder, did his housekeeper, Gracie, did she wash them in the sink? You know? <laughs> but also it, it's full of paintings by Tory Island folk artists. But it was actually at this point that it became inspiring to other artists. Um, Seamus Heaney wrote a lovely poem about a dinner that Gracie cooked him in, in the kitchen. And since it's become, you know, a museum and moved on to its sort of curatorial life, you know, we don't use the objects anymore and it isn't a working kitchen. You know, that's when someone like Frank McGuinness wrote a play based on this. It was called Greta Garbo Comes to Donegal. We tried to stage it, but we couldn't because it was still in production. So we did Dolly West Kitchen. We did a rehearsed reading of it in this room. So all of a sudden, when it's, when it's probably least likely to have a theatrical life, 
you know, things like this lecture are happening here. Thanks, Adrian. It's interesting to note that Derek Hill brought electricity and heating into the building in the early 1950s. So the question of rural electrification, which doesn't come to this area for a while yet. He brings his own generator and he has quite a sophisticated, a lot of domestic technology in, in an area of Ireland that doesn't get it for another decade or so. Um, I'm the art officer with Donegal County Council and uh, I saw Knit the Roof a number of years ago when it was done over at the Crawley factory and it was a fabulous piece of work. The kitchen as the setting for, for theatre, um, they, they used to say years ago that the, the Abbey actors were the most best fed actors in Ireland because all of the, the shows took place in kitchens and they were always eating. <laughs> but uh, one thing about those particular plays, and they're very popular on the, on the amateur circuit, all of those plays are, being, are still being performed. Uh, and it kind of strikes me that the general themes of them, obviously, they're, they're almost all, all family dramas dysfunctional families or family secrets being uncovered or, or, or that type of thing. And, and they're always scripted. It's, it's a form of scripted play. And I'm just wondering, does Russia believe, for example, that I suppose modern Irish life, can it be conveyed? Is it too complex to be conveyed in that kind of a setting anymore? The standard scripted play, can it convey what kind of a society we are at the moment now? I think maybe we come back to the kitchen, but when we come back to the kitchen, we can no longer see it the way we used to, i.e. on a stage. And knowing that that's like a pretend kitchen in a way for that for us to now experience what happens in the kitchen maybe the kitchen needs to be either you need to be in a real kitchen or you need to be in something else standing in for a kitchen but i think it's about creating the, an experience in that kind of space and i think when you talk about these plays being really popular on the amateur circuit like i'd be really well aware of that but in a way you think well who are those productions for i think those productions a lot of the time are for the amateur actors who are in them. It's about that experience of recreating those stories. But I think when we think about creating artists who want to push boundaries and create something new for an audience, they are aware that like, actually the thing people want is an experience. That experience doesn't come anymore from sitting back in a dark theatre and watching a story you've seen 100 times before. We all know all the stories already, so we have to experience the stories in new way, new ways. So I, I would say to Adrian, it's not necessarily maybe a that we need to perform a play that's already written in the kitchen, but that maybe we might, might make something new in this kitchen. And if the invitation is open, I'd love to come back and make something. <laughs> if not now, sometime in the future. Myrene Gonal, uh, I have seen a lot of you, the performances, Rosha, and I was just wondering, what do you think about the importance, or do you think the audience is important, or what part do they play in the theatre that you're doing? They're so crucial that like the audience is the show. You make the show at the same time as you make the audience. That's, in a way, the invitation to bring artists into, into a community is about, and, and creating a performance in a particular place is about understanding that you don't know the answers and that the community around you, who will be the audience for the show, are the people who do know the answers. And their experience is what informs both the place you make it, the way you make it, and the story that you tell. So I think that that audience is so important that I wouldn't even call them the audience. It's like that's the community around. The thing about theatre is, and it's the difference between drama and theatre, is drama is a text that exists for all time or for as long as it's written down. Theatre is a thing that happens in a moment. It's an ephemeral art form. It happens right now. And it only happens right now when there is an audience there to receive that work. I think the audience is everything. I, I work in architecture and social history. And it seems to me that theatre can do a lot more than other art forms and other mediums in reimagining home. Mm -hmm. 
if you make a play and it's in, and it's in a traditional theatre and the audience is in the dark, you don't know if they're asleep or not. If you're making the kind of performance where it's a group of people walking around or like, you know, sitting on uncomfortable seats and you're all very close together and you're all in the same room together and we all know that we're all there. If it's not working, you will know about it. And so there is that sense of it being, it is both a privilege, but perhaps also that's why it's more risky and why the reward is greater. I mean, I think we would probably all know that there is nothing as interminable as a boring night at the theatre. Like when you go and see a play and it's not working for you, it's like the seat has never been more uncomfortable. You've never felt so warm. You've never felt so tired. And that's like a bad night at the theatre. Whereas I think when you have a great night at the theatre, whether it's sitting in a in a dark space or being at the kind of electricity of seeing an, a new show where the actors aren't just looking at you, they're grabbing your hand and pushing you through doors. The kind of magic of that is the kind of experience that you you just don't forget. You mentioned home there, Russia, as being traditionally, we think of it as place of refuge and sanctuary. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time in Irish theatre, home is a, a violent, repressive, you know, it's mm -hmm. a place you want to think comfortable about it. Mm -hmm. So then what does this intersection of off-site do to that, that tackling of the difficulty of home? I think maybe that when you make theatre in this kind of way, it creates a, in a way, like we recreated an Aniha Arnala, a night of, where people get together and tell stories and kind of work at the same time uh, in the show. But actually, we had to make that to make the show in the same way. We kind of had to create a sense of metal to make the show. For me, that sense of community and an open door is at the heart of the home that I remember in uh, a place like Ranafast. And, and I think through making a project like this, you kind of recreate it because the door has to be open <laughs> and you need people to come in and help out and you need an exchange and you need conversation and you need everybody to kind of roll their sleeves up. My, my question is always about, you know, if, if you're looking at a, a particular environment and you want to sort of interrogate that dramatically, traditional theatre space will allow you to do that and, and use it as metaphor there's always a question around, do you lose the metaphor if you set the drama in the space that the drama's about? But I think what Rosha was doing, you know, it was kind of part gig, part installation, part feast. Just really a sharing of, of story. Rosha mentioned the fluidity between different roles that are more, say, demarcated in, in, in a traditional space. There really was a point where I could see it was difficult to determine who had done what. And the audience were very much part of that at the end. And there was something very, very ritualistic about that process. The, the meal was prepared, and then uh, the audience who were invited to sit in at the culmination of the show were served by the, the performers. Just wondered if, if Rosha had anything to say about that, that particular exchange, because that, that, it kind of felt like a reward for the audience for their participation. Uh, she Knit the Roof was a show we made here in West Donegal in 2015 and then Foil Punt is a show that we made um, at Harbours and it toured across uh, Donegal and Sligo uh, in 2018. With both of those shows, as Darren mentioned, we, we fed the audience at the end and perhaps, yeah, it's perhaps an attempt to kind of get people on site. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think there's something about a moment of celebration and shared experience that's really that the best way to articulate that is in a shared meal. So there we are back to the kitchen, Alan. You know, we're back to this sense of like a shared experience is something that gives you a sense of home that brings you all together, like literally nourishes you or nourishes us as a group of people together. And hopefully we're different when we leave to the way we were when we came in.
My name is Mary Scally and I live in Derry at the moment. And I was one of the people who really enjoyed that performance of Foil Punt and the food. Mm -hmm. And the special, the special thing I thought about the food was that it gave us an opportunity to engage with each other because we talked to each other as audience, but also with the performers. And this was very, very special. And I'd like to say big thanks for that. Think that I think that actually when you're in, an artist and you make work, particularly in a place, it has to come from a curiosity about the place and a, and a position of not knowing rather than of knowing. And of a kind of like maybe the fact that you're kind of from there means you're already interested and you kind of have a good nose to know maybe that's an interesting thing over here. Lots of the most interesting things that we discovered in the making of these shows in Donegal were things that we didn't know. And it was actually the surprise of I, my family come from here, all my gen generations my family come from here and I didn't know this and if I didn't know this then maybe other people are interested too. It's about that kind of the curi curiosity of ignorance I think is a very important place for an, an artist or an artistic producer to start. Thank you Rasha. That brings us to the end of our third lecture event as part of the Davis Now 2019 lecture series Making Home. We've been listening to Rasha Gowen. Thank you very much, Rasha, for your lecture, Too Close to Home. And we've been in the kitchen at Glebe House and Gallery in Churchill, outside Letterkenny in County Donegal. Our next lecture, the fourth in the series, picks up on a lot of these themes, actually, and comes from Moiros Limerick, when we'll hear about the socio-economics of housing in Ireland by Professor Michelle Norris and her lecture entitled Unmaking Home, Homes for Shelter or Homes for Investment. Do join us then. You can listen back to this or any other programmes of the series on the RT Davis Now Lectures website or as a podcast wherever you get yours. Mm -hmm.